0: And the pelvic girdle, also called hip girdle, is formed by two bones, which are called coxal bones, or hip bones. That connect to a sacrum. Sacrum is part of the axial skeleton, remember that. But these two coxal bones, or hip bones, are connected to the sacrum. There are very strong ligaments here that make this uh, joints very strong, because it's important, that's the part that sustains and supports the weight of the body. And at the same time, these two coxal bones provide space for pelvic organs. Now, these bones, they are actually the fusion, the fusion of three bones, which are the ilium ischium, and pubis. These three bones, each coxal bone, each coxal bone is the fusion of three other bones, ilium, ischium, and pubis. And there is this socket called acetabulum, and that's where the femur will connect to. The <coughs> joint, which we call the hip joint, we'll see more later. It's in between the femur, the head of the femur, and the acetabulum that is in the pelvic bone, or coxal bone. Here we see a picture of this of the pelvic girdle, where we said that coxal bone will be all this pubis, and here connects to the sacrum. So all that is one coxal bone. And there are two, right and left. They are the fusion of three bones, ilium, ischium, and pubis. We don't get to see the, uh, uh, the three bones individually. In the skeleton you see all of them fused. But sometimes you can see some lines, or you can guess that's where the individual bones were separated. But it's considered only one. That's why it's called coxal bone. But during the development, we see that it starts with three separated bones that get together, get fused um, into a coxal bone. In posterior part, we see the sacrum, which connects to both coxal bones. And each coxal bone will have different markings, and one of them is called iliac fossa, because that is space provided for pelvic organs in the pelvic cavity. Uh, Reproductive organs, like the ovaries, are related with the iliac fossa, for instance. Or even abdominal organs, like the large intestine, sigmoid colon, even appendix, they are in relation with this pelvic or the joint between the coxal bone and the sacrum is called sacroiliac joint. And it's a very common point of inflammation or injuries. And some people may have pain in the back, in the lower back especially. That may come from the sacroiliac joint, the joint between the coxal bone and the sacrum. Well, we see other markings in other other pictures. So these are the bones, the three bones, individual bones, ilium, ischium, and pubis, but they are fused. One of the important things is both pubic bones, they join anteriorly, and this joint is called the pubic symphysis, which contains a fibrocartilage. We give this an example. As an example of fibrocartilage when we the tissues, the markings. What markings we should notice? Um, the ileum, for instance, the ileum uh, has two parts one part is called the ala because it's wing like, and a body. And in the body, they have these markings called iliac crests, which is just the superior margin of this bone. And it can be easily touched in the side of the body and followed from anterior to posterior. That body part that we feel in, in the level of the waist, in both sides, that is the iliac crest. And we can follow it from anterior to posterior all the way. That's part of the ilium. There are two markings there. One of them is called anterior superior iliac spine. We we usually abbreviate it as ASIS. And posterior superior iliac spine. The ASIS, or anterior superior iliac spine, is, as the name says, anterior. And if you follow the iliac crest, anteriorly, you will find a little bump, anteriorly. And that's usually very ticklish in some people. But we know that during the physical examination, we start palpating the abdomen, we get to that point, and it causes some um, comfort to some people. But that is an important marking, especially, as I said, for the physical examination, it's important to note that, and some people have this very clearly, since they don't have much subcutaneous tissue, you can see that and feel it. Iliac fossa, we saw it, the Iliac fossa is in the pelvic cavity and the gluteal surface is posterior, posteriorly then that's where the gluteal muscles, they are attached to. In the ischium, let's see some pictures here, here you go, the two views of the Ilium. The crest. The crest will be all this, all that is the crest, all the superior margin of the ilium. Now, this part is anterior, and here is posterior. So the anterior superior iliac spine, is little bump that we see here, is the A-S-I-S. Now, since this is a lateral view, we can see some lines here, the ridges on the bone. And those are the gluteal lines. Those for attachment of the gluteal of the gluteal muscles. And here you see in three different colors, the three different bones that I was saying. They are fused, so we are not able to see exactly where the junction is. But here the different colors are showing us where these bones get fused. So in purple and posterior you see the ischium, more anterior you see the pubis, and superiorly the ilium, which markings we are highlighting here. The posterior superior iliac spine is another bump here, but posterior this can be also touched. When we follow the iliac crest anterior to posterior, you can find these two bumps. You can see that on the skeleton very clear. They're really big prominences of processes in this bone. So regarding the ischium, the ischium has a body and a ramus and the markings are ischial spine, sciatic notch, and ischial tuberosity. Where are those markings? This is a medial view where we can see the ilium, the iliac fossa. All this is the articular surface for the sacrum, that's the sacroiliac joint. And we see the ischium here, the ischium, the lesser sciatic notch, which which is this space, curved space right here, just notch, the ischial spine And the ischial tuberosity is this big prominence that we see here. Let me go to the other view so we can see and, and, and it's marked here. In the lateral view we see the ischial tuberosity of this big prominence. Now that is the part that is the part that gets in contact with the surface of the seat of the chair. When we sit, that is the point that gets in contact. You can see it on the scalp, on the very lower part of the pelvis, that is the ischial tuberosity. That belongs to the ischium. There is a big hole, a big foramen, and it's called the obturator foramen. The obturator foramen this is right above this ischial tuberosity. And the pubis is a V-shaped bone of formation, both pubic bones. They get into this formation or like a V. And there are markings like the pubic crest, pubic tubercle, the obturator foramen that we saw, and the pubic symphysis, which is the joint in between both pubic bones. Now this junction of the two pubic bones anteriorly, they determine an angle that we call pubic arch or subpubic pubic angle. And it's important because it will tell us the difference between a male and female pelvis. We can tell which is a male, which is a female, just by seeing the pelvis. They have different characteristics. And if we go here to see, let's go back to the, the this one right here. See the pubic arch here, this angle below. This pubic arch or subpubic angle will be different in male and female. And that's another goal that we have to identify which pelvis is a male, which pelvis is a female. For instance, this skeleton, you can tell which is a male, which is a female by looking at the pubic arch or subpubic angle. Let's go to here, pelvis. Now, considering the pelvis like a whole thing, like both coxal bones connected to the sacrum and connected to the same fuse. How we make the difference? Well, the female pelvis is usually wider, shallower, lighter, and rounder than the male because it's adapted for childbearing. And as I said, we can say, in, uh, for instance, in bone remains that uh, are found from uh, very you know, old civilizations and uh, uh, they usually find bone remains. We, they can tell which is a male, which is a female if they measure this pubic angle and see other characteristics. Now, the pelvis has other divisions but we're going to see um, the pelvis is divided in false and true pelvis. And they are divided by a line called pelvic brim, pelvic brim. And above the line is false pelvis and below the line is called true pelvis. So the description says false pelvis superior to that pelvic brim or line. And the true pelvis inferior to that pelvic brain or lines. And this true pelvis is actually what we know as the birth canal. That's where the baby comes through during birth. And the outlet is the inferior opening or margin of the true pelvis. So understanding this like a space and all these bones making this canal Um, we get to understand how the baby has to go through all these spaces. And it makes sense that the pelvis, the female pelvis has to be different than the male because of the shape of the baby's head has to adapt to go through uh, this space. Here we see the differences. We compare male and female pelvis. What are the things that we have to see? The most important thing, I would say, is the pubic arch you check the pubic arch, you will see that in female is much wider and in male is more closed. And actually as a, as a rule, a practical rule, you can use these three fingers to tell the difference. If the angle, the pubic angle, pubic arch, matches the angle between your index and middle finger, that it probably is a male pelvis. But if the angle matches, the angle between your thumb and your index finger is wider, so that matches probably that's a female pelvis. Of course, this is a practical rule, uh, and these are basic differences. Other differences that we see here on the table, on the bone thickness, both males usually have the bones thicker. That's another difference. <coughs> We don't use individual differences. We get all the criteria together and um, arrive to our conclusion. That's why you see different characteristics here. For instance, the female pelvis is described as tilted forward. The cavity is broad, shallow, and greater capacity. The pubic angle is broader, 80 to 90 or more. And in the male, the angle is more acute from fifty to sixty degree, and so that quickly help us to identify. And also look at the distance between both il bo- lateral borders of the iliac crest in the female and compare with the distance in the male. So that is another feature, another characteristic. Now, there are variations. There are variations of this, and sometimes women have. Some women have uh, pelvises that are what we call anthropoid or android, which means that tend to be more masculine characteristics. And sometimes these women may have problems for birth. And these are the cases where we hear that the pelvis was so small and uh, they had to end up in a C-section because the pelvis was so small for the baby and so on. Those are anatomical variations, that happens sometimes. Okay, let's go to the bones of the lower limb. The thigh, the leg, and the foot, these are the segments of the lower limb. An important thing about these bones are very thick, very strong because they support the weight of the body. Like the femur, which is a very large bone, very strong. It connects to the hip, coxal bone, uh, the acetabulum, that socket, and distally with the tibia. The patella is a small bone. It actually fits the definition of a sesamoid bone. A sesamoid bone is one that does not have connection with other bones. Instead, it does, but is a very small bone Is usually in the middle of a tendon. And that's how this patella is, is in the middle of the quadriceps tendon. It's called kneecap because it's protecting the knee joint. It's anterior to the knee joint, patella or kneecap. And the bone features of the thigh or femur are seen here. Let's go and check the picture and highlight some of these markings. The head of the femur, this round epiphysis, that is the one that connects to acetabulum of the hip bone. Right below, we have the neck, which is very clear in the femur. It's a technical neck. But then we have two prominences, two processes. One of them, and notice the orientation, this is posterior and this is anterior view. If we see it from the back, posterior, we can see two prominences, the greater trochanter and the lesser trochanter, which is more medial. In the anterior view, we see the greater trochanter and the lesser trochanter. The greater trochanter is that bony prominence that we feel in the beginning of our thigh. If you touch your iliac crest in the border and then keep going down, you will find muscles. But then quickly, you will find a bony prominence here. That is a femur, that is the greater trochanter of the femur. So, usually, when you lay down on the floor and the side of your body, it gets at some point very uncomfortable because you feel that the greater trochanter is in contact with the floor and um, that is part of the femur. Very important marking because that's where the gluteal muscles will attach, all the muscles of the gluteal region. So these two, greater trochanter and lesser trochanter are two markings in the proximal epiphysis of the femur. Right under, we have in the posterior aspect, a ridge or line that is called the linea spera. And that's for insertion of muscles also. Anteriorly, the surface is very smooth. Then we get to the distal epiphysis of the femur, where we can describe two condyles: the medial condyle and the lateral, and the lateral condyle. Lateral condyle and medial condyle. What are the condyles? The condyles are these round processes that in the femur are the articular connection for the knee joint, the lateral and medial condyle, which can be seen from posterior aspect better. On top of each condyle, there's a little bump or little prominence, and they are known as the Medial and lateral epicondyle. Here we see lateral epicondyle on top of the lateral condyle, and the medial epicondyle on top of the medial condyle. The name epicondyle means above the condyle. It's a little prominence, a little bony prominence there. Again, it's for attachment of muscles in the thigh. And in the distal epiphysis, we can also find the surface, and this is anterior, the surface for the patella, which is called the patellar surface. So all those markings are listed and described here in the in the description of the slide previous to the, to the picture. Going lower, the leg, two bones, tibia and fibula. <coughs> tibia and fibula resemble much like the radius and ulna in the forearm. They are connected by a interosseous membrane. The tibia is the one that connects to the femur the fibula actually does not is not included in the knee joint. Does not support any weight of the body. The fibula is just a connect connecting the tibia with the uh, lower part, lower region, the ankle. But it's not going to support weight of the body directly from the knee joint. It helps more for its stability. Although, it's surrounded by many muscles and they have many prominences for attachment of the muscle. And as it says here, it articulates with the tibia, the proximal epiphysis and distal epiphysis in both parts, in both ends. Here we have both bones, the fibula and the tibia, connected by the interosseous membrane Same thing is seen in the radius and all in the forearm. There's an interosseous membrane. And look at the fibula. The fibula has a head and a superior tibiofibular joint. The fibula connects to the tibia here and also down here inferior tibiofibular joint. And the knee joint is up here. So the femur goes up here. Femur connects to the tibia but that not, does not connect to the fibula. The fibula does not participate in the knee joint. Well, regarding the tibia, this is an anterior view. Very anterior, and right down, right below the patella, we find the tibial tuberosity, which can also be easily touched on the surface of our skin. You get the patella, go lower, you find a little bumpy part That is tibia, the tibial tuberosity. There are condyles also in the tibia, medial condyle and lateral condyle. So these round surfaces for contact with the femur, with the condyles of the femur. Then in the diaphysis of the bone, we have the anterior border. Here, this part of the tibia is covered, is just covered by skin. This is one of the parts of the body where the bone is very close to the skin. There's no other layer there, not even the subcutaneous tissue sometimes. And you can feel that, the skin, and right under the tibia, the anterior surface and anterior border of the tibia. Distal epiphysis, there is a prominence called medial malleolus which belongs to the tibia. And uh, the lateral malleolus is a prominence that belongs to the fibula. And these two prominences, malleolus, are the two prominences that we have in the ankle. The big one is lateral, that belongs to the fibula. But there's another one, medial, which is the, belongs to the tibia. And this is the way that we can tell For instance, if you see a skeleton or a lower limb, bones separated from the body, you can tell which is right and which is left because in anatomical position, the fibula is always lateral and the tibia is medial. So these two, lateral malleolus and medial malleolus will be connected to bones of the ankle when we get into the foot. In the foot, we have the same picture as in the hand, because in the hand, we mentioned carpal bones or carpus region, metacarpal, and phalanges. In this case, it's called tarsus. Instead of carpal, tarsal. And instead of uh, uh, metacarpal, metatarsal. So in the tarsus, we have seven bones from posterior uh, uh, half. and The bones are talus, calcaneus, which is the bone of the heel, the calcaneus. And the other bones are the cuboid, navicular, and three cuneiforms, medial, intermediate, and lateral. This is better seen in the picture we see it here a superior view of the foot with all these regions the phalanges which are which are the bones of the toes metatarsals remember in the hand the metacarpals were the bones of the palm of the hand well this is the bones of the plant they're also named they're also named as one two three four and five starting with the big toe And also, in phalanges, we see the same pattern that we saw in the hand. There are three distal, middle, and proximal phalanx, except the first, which only has two, distal and proximal. And here we have the bones of the tarsal, the tarsal bones, labeled which is the bone of the heel. The talus is the one that connects to the tibia, provides articular surface for the tibia. And then we uh, see all the other bones. The navicular is medial. Then the cuboid is lateral. And the three cuneiforms are in in a row, lateral, intermediate, and medial. Those are the bones of the tarsal region or tarsus. In a different view, a lateral view, we can see this, where we see clearly the calcaneal tuberosity, which is the very uh, prominence of the heel, calcaneal tuberosity, all this is a calcaneus bone. The talus with the articular surface for the tibia, and more anteriorly, we see the navicular and the medial cuneiform, which is, as the name says, medial. This is a lateral view, where we see the talus has another articular surface here lateral for the fibula. So the talus is the one that participates in connection with the tibia and fibula at the level of the uh, ankle joint. Now, these bones of the foot, they are arranged in a way plus a ligament that forms these arches. These arches that uh, are very important to allow our foot to distribute the weight of the body properly and allow the, uh, the weight to be handled in a, prop and in a good way. These three arches are lateral, longitudinal and, and transverse. These arches are maintained by the joints and by ligaments, they're very strong ligaments. And as we can see here, the medial longitudinal in blue because it's between the calcaneal tuberosity and the first metatarsal then the lateral longitudinal arch is between the calcanea tuberosity and the fifth metatarsal, and the transverse, and the transverse goes in a direction from medial to lateral. If you see models and uh, people that do um, artificial devices, prosthesis, uh, for people that got the Lower limbs amputated, for instance. There are some models or designs about the foot that consider these arches because that's the way that the, the body of the weight is distributed. And there are three points, as I was, say, as I was saying. One of them is the calcaneal tuberosity, the other one is medial in the first metatarsal. And the other one is lateral and the fifth metatarsal. With just three points, and people can design artificial feet. And they're allowed walking and uh, based on the anatomy of the food. Okay, questions, comments?